Hello, just a quick bit before this week's episode to let you know that we have a Patreon you can subscribe to if you like what we're doing here and you want more of it. You probably already knew that. We don't stop going on about it. What you didn't know is that you can currently get a little free trial so you know exactly what you'd get as part of your subscription. You can head to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in the show notes to get your first seven days free. All you need to do is pick which tier you'd like a free trial of. The Biggest Mates tier is the one that has all the extras in it. And then for seven days, you are free to listen to any episode we've released in the last six months. You can cancel any time or just leave the subscription rolling if you like what you find. It's charged monthly. And during any month, as part of that Biggest Mates tier, you'll get ad-free episodes of this show every Monday. You'll get a brand new episode of our new Manic Street Preacher show every month. Two episodes every month of The Ultimate Playlist, our themed playlist show, where we talk about all kinds of different music, different artists, different genres, different eras, and one or two bonus episodes every month, depending on the length of the month. That's two episodes every week. There's also other tiers to trial. One that is just the Manic Show and ad-free What Is Music episodes, and another that is just ad-free What Is Music episodes. But hey, if the first seven days are free, why not try a bit of everything? Plus, all tiers include access to the exclusive subscriber-only Discord where we discuss the shows, the bands we've covered, various music topics, and loads of other stuff, including some games that the friendly community have devised themselves. So head on over to our Patreon page now to claim your free seven-day trial. Go to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in our show notes. See you there. Guys, it's not going to, you know, it's okay, computer. It's not going to be a fun episode. <laughs> I was just telling, <laughs> I was just saying to Lucas, I accidentally wrote a book and then had to walk back a load of my notes to make it more accessible. Okay. You guys need to listen up and focus. All right. That's what, that's what needs to happen on this episode. Adam, tell Steve how long your notes were. 30,000 words. <laughs> so I've, I've put it back down to 12 and a half you wrote three destinations about okay computer right here's what i don't want if anybody voices an opinion that isn't you know it, that is is not a hot take no one can say no surprises there all right oh that's every other line in nobody my... can say that anything is lucky what, can you then subsequently make a lecky comment? No, no, because he's not involved in this album. You can't say anything was a letdown. Can't say anything was a letdown. Mm. Okay? I okay. want focus. I don't want any stupid jokes. You don't want us, like, climbing up the walls, like, getting silly. Get fucked! <laughs> you want to make sure we're not just subterranean homesick alien? That's less good. Hmm. Hello, uh, welcome to What Is Music, a music podcast about music. We're a podcast that focuses on discographies in their entirety, doing deep dives on one artist at a time. You join us during season four, which is called Is It Rad In Yo Head? A critical analysis of the history, cultural impact and music of Radiohead. We're going through their entire career, album by album, track by track, asking questions like, does context matter when you're listening to music? Does knowing the history of an artist affect your appreciation of their output? And this season, we're of course asking, is it rad in your head? 
just to be clear, we're asking, is it rad in your head in regards to the band Radiohead, not is it rad in your head in regards to this, the fourth season of our podcast, which is called Is It Rad in Your Head, and which is now in your head. I'm Adam Scott Glasspool. I'm a pretentious music fan. I love the artistry, the emotion, and also the context that surrounds music. Radiohead, probably my favourite band. With me, as always, is someone who has said they do not care about art or critique, does not often relate personally to music, but does find it entertaining to hear the comforting nice sounds. It's Lucas Way. Hello. In the middle of that, we have someone who can appreciate context, art and subject matter, but also the indescribable effect that music can have on his pasty, frail body. It's just a normal person. It's uh, it's Steve Murphy. It's only Steve. We're just normal men. We're just, yeah. We're okay, just great. men. That'll date well when this comes so out. It's already outdated as we record. Hi, guys. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast, guys. It's been uh, a while. About a week. Hmm. Well, a week, yeah, but we haven't done a proper full-on episode, right? Yeah, this is a the big boy, isn't it? Not since the before times. Is that before honeymoon? Before the yeah. that age. That's like a substantial milestone in the lives of us and And anyone podcast. listening, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's true. I just bring a different energy post-honeymoon, post you know? I'm like, I'm doing this. If anyone, it's an audio format, I'm doing it's the like shaka. It's like a hang ten. I'm doing the shaka, yeah. Oh. What? Why is that called a shaka? This is what it's called, man. I thought you were asking me to ring you. I yeah, bringing, I thought you I'm were... just bringing real like aloha vibes, you know. Oh, okay, I thought you were cool. miming a phone. Mm. Oh, well, both a phone oh. that shakes a lot. Apparently, do people do that? That's probably not how people mime phones anymore, right? This album today, we're firmly in the nineties, so we'll be doing the the thumb and and the, th- finger. the finger. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got That's two we'll here. You notice that? Two phones. Two phones. Who are you calling yourself? I'm doing that thing where you put them near each other and it goes, it sounds weird. I'm probably calling myself. No one's going to want me to call them, are they? We are obviously on our quest to answer the question, what is music one artist at a time? And at the moment, we're going through the entire discography of Paranoid Android's Radiohead. And today you join us at the beginning of our deep dive into the band's third album, OK Computer. But before we do get into that, we need to catch up with the band themselves, so I'll hand over to the curator of the library which contains our vast collective knowledge. It's Lucas Way. Where did we leave the band Radiohead? Uh, they released The Benz. The Benz. It was okay. <laughs> Computer. Uh, now, now Adam, now you can't tell us well, to say no surprise. No. I suppose well, you didn't give the rules to yourself, on my list. It yeah. wasn't on my list okay, either. That's fair. Also, yeah. so, Steve, to be fair, Adam is in charge. You know, Adam is in charge here. Adam is the talk show host, and so he gets uh, to dictate. I mean, awful. awful, paranoid Android. Interesting that you called it okay. Obviously, famously, Lucas, when you when you hear an album that's okay, uh, you give it a seven out of ten. Did I give it that good a score? Did I give the Ben <laughs> seven out of ten? Yeah. <laughs> oh. If you if you can't remember it, does it just go down until <laughs> it's a one? Well, no, but it means and now it's hard for me to know where OK Computer sits against it because I can't uh, remember the bends. When, when I score, I just think, what do I think about this album? Is it good? Is it great? Well, that's a seven or an eight then. I don't like measure it against I other do. Albums. I measure it against each other. Insane. You also do it on like a song by song basis, which of course means if you then start to like a song more than you did, the score of the album should go up, right? Uh, it has to be quite a lot. It has to go up like enough, you know. If it was yeah. a ten-track album, so each song is essentially worth a point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that song would have to at least double in quality and enjoyment for it to gain one full point for the album, wouldn't it? 
Right, okay, great. Well, that's where we left Radiohead. Uh, <laughs> <that's>... <laughs> they did, they, they done the bends. It went down pretty well, and people were like, oh, this Radiohead band, they, uh, something. they got a little something. The Benz, yeah, released in 1995 uh, to like universal acclaim. It's one of the most influential albums of all time. Uh, and then we sojourned briefly into 1996 for their performance at the Metro in Chicago. But we're starting today in June 1995 uh, when they're in Japan during a sound check. Ed is playing around with effects and stuff and starts strumming his strings above the nut of the neck of the guitar. It creates a kind of like ethereal, high-pitched sound. And the band then form a song around that sound. They work it up in sound checks. Then it's in the set list within like a few weeks to a month or so. And at around the same time, one of the most influential figures in music of all time, Brian Eno, approaches the band and asks if they'd like to contribute to a charity album that he's putting together. Now, this is the Help album, uh, which we've, of course, touched on before because Manic Street Preachers were also asked to to take part. They contributed their cover of... Anyone remember? Wait, what year? 95. 95. I cannot remember. falling on my head. That's right, yeah. Nice. And it was notable because it was the first song that they recorded following the disappearance of their guitarist and lyric writer, Richie Edwards. We all know. We've all listened to What Is Music, a music podcast about music. It's interesting that this charity album was a turning point for each band. But I should go into what the what the album actually sort of was. The idea of the album is a bunch of artists, Radiohead, Mannix, Oasis, Blur, Paul McCartney from Wings, Suede, Massive Attack, Portishead. They all go into different studios on the same day, September the 4th, 1995, and they had that day to record a song for this album that would then be released five days later. So Radiohead go into the studio with Nigel Godrich, John Leckie's assistant on the Benz, uh, who had produced a few of that album's B-sides and obviously Blackstar, which is, of course, on the album. In just five hours, they record their contribution, which is the song that they had worked on in Japan, and the song is called Lucky, and it eventually ends up on Radiohead's third album, OK Computer, about 18 months later. The journey for OK Computer begins in, like, <laughs> where were we? September 1995. But really, June, because that's when they wrote Lucky. Um, it's also the lead single from the Help album. Uh, do you want to guess where Lucky charted as a kind of standalone single from a charity album? 43. Oh. Uh, 16. Oh, it's 51. Has anyone ever gotten it right? Bang on. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think so. you have yeah. this once, yeah. Um. It only reached 51 because Radio 1 refused to play it, again, mm. citing it as kind of too depressing. We are, of course, as discussed in previous weeks, at the height of Britpop. Uh, but the band were so happy with the results of that recording that they were like, right, that is what the next album is. It's going to be Lucky. We're going to make the album sound like Lucky. And that is kind of their idea of what they want the album to sound like. Um. Around this time, this is like tangential. Around this time, the Oxford music scene is struggling. 
Three venues closed down and the music magazine Curfew shuts down as well. Radiohead weren't having it. And so they worked out a deal with the owner of the venue, which was called The Venue, uh, which is where the music video for Creep was filmed. Radiohead, as a band, invested in that venue so that it could reopen as the Zodiac. Um, not the killer. They owned shares in that until 2006, when it became uh, the O2 Academy in Oxford, which is nice. It's like they're giving back to their own sort of like community, having now become big famous uh, rock band boys, right? Big famous rock band boys. Big famous rock band boys. I think that's, that's how we nice... should refer to them from now on. Mm, uh, yeah, it's as, snappy, as a collective. Snappy. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, big famous rock band boys. Don't call them Radiohead. No, boring. Um, they continue to tour and tour and tour. As we touched on last week, they hit the US four times, tour most of Europe, a couple of shows in Israel. They play their own shows that increase in size across the tour, but they also play stadiums in both the US and Europe as they support REM, who were fans of Radiohead, which must have been very gratifying uh, for a band inspired by them. Um, They were about to go out uh, on stage to 65,000 people in Milton Keynes, uh, and Tom York finds himself confronted with an actual Michael Stipe, uh, who just says, Hi, I'm Michael. I'm glad you could do this. I'm a very big fan. And Tom nearly fainted. (laughs) And I think there's also a bit of an REM influence to how they operate on the Benz tour too. Um, In this period, on the Monster tour, which obviously Lucas... You'll know because this is when you were in REM. Well, uh, I, yeah, but it was a long time ago, Adam. Mm. I know, but I'm just, I just can't remember I'm, the bends. <laughs> yeah, that's well, I was true. busy at the time. I was touring Monster. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's very true. Yeah. Uh, REM were recording their next album on the road, like at sound checks and during live shows. We did not have an album called On the Road. Mm. They would often write a brand new song in Soundcheck and then play it that night in front of a stadium full of people. Um, Peter Buck, the guitarist from R.E.M. and close personal friend of Lucas, said that Johnny uh, told him it gave them the confidence to play things that they were more uncomfortable with. And they learned loads from R.E.M. on that tour about lots of things. Um, R.E.M. conduct themselves in a certain way that maybe we'll talk about someday. And all of this rubbed off on on Radiohead, like, eventually. Tom and Michael become very good friends. They still are today. Michael Stipe became a bit of a... Uh, linchpin for Tom. He he gave advice and and saw them through a lot of like bad times. Some of that advice ends up as lyrics on Radiohead songs. I think I've seen the footage of Tom and Michael on stage when he he puts his arm around him. Is that is that when he nearly faints? It's in front of a giant like arena, and it's very sweet. No, they were friends by that point. Yeah, it's very sweet. It looked really nice. Yeah, they they they, they end up like like Tom would go on stage to sing. Ebo the letter with them later on in their career and stuff like that and then Michael Stipe would come out and sing Lucky with with Radiohead and yeah it's lovely Um, but of course this is Radiohead so as nice as that is Mm. they hated the tour (laughs) they found it incredibly gruelling and stressful Mm. oh yeah Um, Tom was also struggling with like the increased level of fame and press scrutiny. He had a conversation with his PR people and managers saying that he would be trying to kind of take a step back because as his mental health declined and his drinking increased, he specifically said he could see himself going the same way as Richie Edwards, uh, whose disappearance had greatly affected Tom. Wow. Uh, he believed the way that the press treated Richie had encouraged what occurred. And I think he saw himself in Richie a little bit and wanted to avoid... Uh, a similar incident and there was also sickness one of the u.s tour legs saw them supporting soul asylum now i'm going to assume that lucas knows more than any of us about soul asylum yeah well yeah we were contemporaries we were touring around the same okay. time. 
are they are they a band are they the band with the om symbol on the front cover i remember being shown that in an re lesson what's the om symbol it's like a buddhist uh eastern symbol how do i spell um, it o h m maybe isn't that to do maybe? with um was that electricity? Oh, the ohm symbol. Wrong. The ohm symbol. The yeah. The like looks like an ohm. Like ohms. It's just an electricity term. Yeah. No. We're gonna move on. Also known <laughs> as the omega symbol, which is a, which is commonly affiliated with Dark Side, the villain of the uh, DC films and books. And it's that kind of important context that makes mm. us the podcast that mm. we are. What's I the think? band called again? Soul Asylum. Soul Asylum. Never. Heard of I remember it having a sand-coloured cover. I might be wrong. You want me to search an album cover? Album yeah, go on. Cover. Let's see what's going on. Uh, there is a... Uh, I'm not seeing much, mate. The one with a symbol on the front? Maybe nah. I'm thinking of a different band. Yeah, For some that. reason, I just assumed that you would be heavily into Soul Asylum. <laughs> um, no. Okay. I don't know why. I don't even really know anything about it. I don't them. know if you're being serious or not. No, I, I am, yeah. Anyway, as they toured with Soul Asylum, Johnny spent two weeks with a ringing, bleeding ear. Yay! <laughs> Are we going to have a bad time in these one, two, three, four, five episodes on OK Computer? Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Were you, have you heard huh? the album? Were you expecting to have a good time to this yeah. album? I had a little dance at one point. <laughs> well, what to? Climbing up the walls. Uh, uh. He had to wear ear defenders on stage, like the ones you get in building sites. Oh, like a kid at a festival. Looked, he must have looked <laughs> insane because he's got his like uh, wrist brace on and his ear defenders <laughs> falling to bits with the hair all over his face. He must have looked crazy. Uh, and then all of their gear gets stolen. Jesus Christ! All of it. None of it was ever recovered. They had to buy everything again, including the guitar that Plank had built for Ed. Plank is their guitar tech who had made Ed a custom guitar. Ed owned the only one in the world, and that got nicked. Um, so they have the first couple of months of 1996 off, okay? The success of the Benz meant that they had a little bit of sway. They wanted to start working on new material, they also negotiated complete creative control, so nothing could be released without their say. They wanted to get away from sad boy indie rock. Did they? They wanted to get away from standard rock songs. They wanted to get away from what Phil Selway called soul searching. Uh, and Tom, Tom York wanted to fold more societal issues and politics into his lyrics, or at least reflect the world uh, as he experienced it, I suppose. Uh, there's a quote from Tom saying that he hadn't worked out how to do that yet, but the Mannix had, uh, and he looked to them for some inspiration, I think. The lyrics are genuinely, on OK Computer, I think, a bit more Mannix-esque uh, than the rest, than, than the Benz or Pablo Honey. Um but I don't think many people sort of acknowledged that influence. It took me ages to hunt down that quote, having known that I'd seen it in like an old issue of Q magazine or something. They were told by record executives, hey, hey, man. Hey, 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 hey. look, hey, hey <laughs> if you put out The Bends Part 2, yeah. you would sell millions and millions of records. And so as Ed puts it, they set about doing the opposite of that. Of course. Uh, they wanted to record themselves with no producer 
and were given a budget for new recording equipment, which they installed in their new Apple Shed rehearsal space in Oxford, which they called Canned Applause. Uh, they didn't really want to go into proper studios, but they did ask someone they'd worked with before, Nigel Godrich, for advice on what equipment to buy. And he became so involved in buying that equipment and finding it that he just kind of ended up being the co-producer of OK Computer by almost kind of falling into it and being there uh, because they have a great working relationship. Um, they went back to touring between March and August 1996 and it's in that period of touring that we saw them last week. In little breaks between legs of the tour, they're able to return to Oxford, work on recording the new material, which all of them have said was, guess what, guys? Fucking awful. A difficult experience. Yeah, it was a bad yeah. time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first songs they tried uh, were Lift, True Love Waits, a song called Big Boots, and a song called Big Ideas Don't Get Any. Um, none of them appear on OK Computer. Big boots. Self-producing was driving them a bit insane. They couldn't focus on just one song. They kept jumping from idea to idea, and when they ran out of ideas for a song, they wouldn't finish it. They'd just jump to the next song to fill with different ideas. Between January 1996 and July 1996, they completed four songs. Oh. And I think, from reading all of this stuff, I think one of those is only in retrospect. I don't think they thought they had it at that point, but we'll, yeah. we'll get to it. We'll get to it. It's also around this time that the band are approached by film director Baz Luhrmann. Guys, what's your experience of Baz Luhrmann? Uh, oh, I'm going to embarrass myself. Good. Go on. Train spotting? Absolutely nah, not. Shit! <laughs> Absolutely nah. not. Who's Couldn't Baz be more wrong. He did... <laughs> Moulin what? Rouge, he did. Moulin Rouge, he did. Yeah. Uh, didn't he do the Great Gatsby? He did the Great Gatsby. Yeah, he did. He did that Australia. Australia. He did Trainspotting too, didn't he? No. Nope. Oh. Nope. <laughs> but he also uh, around this Romeo time he was finishing up. Sorry. Yes, he was finishing up his adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Just to be, he also there's a musical uh. side to his career that we failed to mention. Everyone's Free to Wear Sunscreen. Everyone's Free to Wear Sunscreen. A great song. Oh, yeah. I love that song so much. Really, I was talking to Steve about this song a couple of weeks ago. Um, really hits differently when you're 33. <laughs> yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough listen. That's a oh, tough I'm going lis- to listen. listen to it. <laughs> so Baz Luhrmann is finishing up his adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. He had wanted to commission uh, Radiohead to write a song for the movie uh, because it's a dramatic teen movie and Radiohead are very hot right now. Um, To convince them to write something, he shows them the final 30 minutes of the film, uh, which inspires Tom to write a song for it, and it's used in the closing credits of the film. However, Radiohead requested that the song not be featured on the soundtrack because they wanted to keep it for OK Computer, and there are zero prizes, Steve. I can see you getting excited. There are zero prizes for guessing which track on OK Computer that it is. Airbag. Great. (laughs) Tom York said it (laughs) it was the first performance they'd ever recorded where every note of it made his head spin, something he was proud of, something he could turn up really, really loud and not wince out of embarrassment at any moment. Um, The thing is, that movie was huge, uh, and the soundtrack was even bigger. And luckily, that doesn't count, 
Radiohead are the only <laughs> artist <laughs> to have two songs featured in the film. Uh, and the other was on the soundtrack because it's uh, this is this is a weird one, guys. It's a little B side from the end of the Benz era. So now two songs that would end up on OK Computer have been released. But obviously on this podcast, we like to take in an album kind of in its entirety. So we're going to use this B side, which we don't typically cover at this point uh, as a way to mark where they are. It's also a song that filtered through into the popular culture of the time, even though it's a B-side, because of how huge uh, that soundtrack was. It sold so many copies, and some people's only experience of Radiohead is this song. Uh, And this song is called Talk Show Host. Back to the last album when he says the Benz. That's not what he the Benz. He says, the, not... he says the bones. He's oh, dead, okay, which is you... the reference. <laughs> You're sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. He says the birds. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> hey man, what? Uh, what's there's some lyrics in that in there? I love the obvious one of you want me, fucking well, come and find me. I'll be waiting with a gun and a pack of sandwiches. I mean, yeah, it's a nice image. I mean, that's just sensible, though, isn't it? Like, you've got to keep your energy up when you're planning, like, when you're doing like a big game of hide and seek. Uh, yeah, I don't really know what, what this song gun? is about. Wait, hang on, are you bring guns to hide and seek. I mean, it gives it an edge, doesn't it? It does. Well, it does. I think that's maybe why people don't go looking for you. Yeah, I mean, Tom is really <laughs> boasting about how good he is at hide and seek as well, isn't he? Because he's like, yeah, you want me? Come find me. Yeah, come on and break the door down. The gun's a threat, so you don't find him, and then he just wins because you're not going to go find him. <laughs> That's what it is. Okay, we've that we, must be that we must cracked be what this it is. wide open yeah. yet again. Uh, do you see what I mean? How it's kind of like a halfway point between the Benz and OK Computer. Yeah, it's got more of a I don't want to say electronic sound about it, but where it's got like loops. Um, I've actually got because I didn't know where this came in the um, timeline. Um, is that I felt like it maybe because I haven't heard it yet, it was more of a link between OK Computer and Kid A, because it's got kind of right. electronic. It's like that repetitive loopiness to it all, you know. I don't think that is a loop though. No, I think that is it, a live. Yeah, drum. No, oh, yeah, fair yeah. enough. But like you can, you know, the no, 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 
kind of gives a, it was a vibe of of that kind of looping. Um, I mean, there's a vibe. It's very vibey. Oh yeah, but it wouldn't fit on the bends, no. and it wouldn't fit on OK Computer because yeah. it's not as complex as a lot of the things on OK Computer, and it's more spacey than the things on the bends, right? Yeah, I mean, it it's very simple, but it does build and build and build and build. Every song on the album does. A fair. <laughs> um, it's a cheeky little number. <laughs> It's pretty sexy, isn't it? It's cheeky. I wouldn't say it's sexy. It's cheeky. Are you talking about my outfit? It's got these little drums. It's got these little fun little drums. And a little cheeky little... It's just cheeky. It's got a little cheeky little... It's nice. (laughs) The way that they incorporate it into the movies are pretty interesting. Uh, They incorporate it into the score of the movie. Um, uh, I have a little clip. I'll, I'll play a little clip. Go on. So obviously those that it's like an oboe and some strings and stuff that aren't in the recorded version. Oh uh, yeah, so it's like a recurring theme. Does it yeah. happen throughout? No, just one scene. Should should I watch Romeo and Juliet? No. I think it's good. Yeah? It's it's very nineties. I remember not enjoying it at the time. Interesting. Is that because you were forced to watch it at school? Well, no, because I thought it was about heroin in Edinburgh. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of got a bit confused by it, I guess. You're an idiot. Yeah. You're an idiot. Um, I really like that. It becomes a real staple of their career. Um, you're very likely to see talk show host live. Huh? Still. Have I seen it live? Did I see it? Every episode, I feel like I'm going to bring up the set list, the gig I went to. to be like, Did I see this live? Why don't you... Uh... Look it up and tell me, <laughs> rather than asking me. But I, should print, I should just print it and just stick it on the wall every time we yeah, record. You really yeah, should. you really should. I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe. It was, maybe, um, maybe, maybe. Uh, it was recognisable. Like, I was like, I've heard this before, um, which I didn't expect, to be fair. Lucas, had you heard this before? Have I, I've, I don't think I'd heard it before, unless, one moment, please. <laughs> Have you seen Romeo and Juliet? Nope. Oh. I did. I've not seen it before. Because what well, they didn't play it, and I've not oh, heard it to my knowledge. No. There you go. I think they played it at Glastonbury when I last saw them. Maybe, maybe not. Um, they had been touring. They'd been recording in canned applause with Nigel. They had four songs plus Lucky and the one from Romeo and Juliet, which again, no prizes for guessing what they are. Uh, they had them in in various forms. The final thirteen dates of the tour are in US arenas and stadiums in support of Alanis Morissette. And what they tended to find is that people absolutely could not have given less of a fuck about them. Really? uh, Except for when they played Creep. And suddenly the audience would go, oh, Oh, that band. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's Creep. Yeah. So they go from like these loving crowds on the tail end of the Benz tour to absolute ambivalence and so they take that opportunity to test new material and also chuck in creep um the first date of the 13 date tour has a couple of new songs if you include lucky by the end of that two weeks the 13 dates in their 12 song set is high and dry and 11 new songs oh high and dry is the only thing 
that the audience could have possibly heard before. Oh my god! I would imagine being in that gig. You'd just be like, "Oh fuck off! Get over yourself and play creep." But they did. They they wouldn't have known them anyway. Support band, right? Yeah, they're the support band. Are they there to see Alanis Morissette? Was that right? Yeah, I guess maybe a bit. But here's what happened. Uh, here's what happened, Lucas. Uh, those sets included a very early version of Paranoid Android, uh, which was 11 minutes long uh, and included an extended extended Hammond organ-only outro. Yeah. Um, they were like experimenting and finding these songs in front of people with absolutely no interest in entertaining them or even warming them up. Like, just, you're either on board or you're not. And Lucas, you would obviously be standing there saying, get over yourselves, who gives a fuck? The audience... Absolutely incredible response to these new songs. Yeah, the more new songs they put into the set, the better their response from the audience. Yeah, if you're if if you're going there and you don't know the band anyway, then yeah, play your strongest songs because they'll because people go, oh, this is this sounds really good. If you know it and you go in there and you want to see, you know, Radiohead, you might be a bit, might be a bit disappointed. I have a feeling that that big Radiohead fans would probably be pretty thrilled that they were playing new stuff, well, yeah, especially when that-, that new stuff. Other songs from OK Computer, yeah. one of the, you know the most famous albums ever made. <laughs> I mean, that's true of any like yeah. When you get to super fan level, you're just excited to see something new, aren't you? That's that's different. I'm talking about your yeah. norm, your normo fans. But they wouldn't have been there. No one was there to see Radiohead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Alanis Morissette herself loved Radiohead, uh, and the gigs on that tour included covers uh, by her of Fake Plastic Trees and Creep. Johnny said her versions were very American. Um, Ed said of Alanis Morissette. Her music is pretty terrible, but she's a lovely person. Oh. That's... Uh, you give it with one hand and you take it with the other, I suppose. Yeah. Like you. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Wait. Yeah. <laughs> oh, either way, that's mean and I feel bad. Yeah. The last date uh, of that tour is August 29th, 1996, and they don't play again for eight months. Oh. At, at Like, they just went off and did their own thing and didn't... So after they've got potentially these songs that they've just been like, they took a break for that long? They immediately went back to recording. Right, fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had decided that canned applause was not the right atmosphere for successfully recording this material. They felt it was too close to their actual homes. They couldn't concentrate. It didn't have a toilet. Um, yeah. And they wanted to kind of fully immerse themselves into the recording of the album. And so in September 1996, they hired St. Catherine's Court, which is an, an, an unoccupied historic mansion near Bath, owned by actress Jane Seymour. Do you know what? I, I had this is a weird thing. I had a feeling this would have been recorded in a haunted mansion. Yes, absolutely. You can hear it on the album, right? Yeah. And that yeah, sounds mental. Yeah. I, don't, I can't explain why. <laughs> That's yeah, insane. Because it's like a haunted album. Uh, it was built in the 16th century uh, as a grange for the monks of Bath Abbey. Mm. Um, the recording process, what do you think, guys? Was it miserable when they hated it? Miserable and tumultuous. It was a very freeing process. Ah, oh, well, you set us up there. No yeah, deadline dick. like they had for Pablo <laughs> <laughs> They weren't in a real stu- studio. They didn't have label executives hanging around. It was the five of them and Nigel and someone called Dan Clements, who I'm pretty sure is an engineering assistant but isn't credited on the album Uh, and may have been a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Could you see my mind go, oh, I've got the same joke. Yeah. (laughs) Um, They used the house 
as part of the process uh, of recording the album. And they used, this album is famous for using recording techniques that would have been very unusual for records like this. Um, The vocals on one track... (laughs) unnatural processes Uh, the vocals on one track were recorded on a stone staircase so that the reverb you hear on it is actual natural reverb of the environment rather than digital reverb applied in a studio um in order to get a sense of space on another song the band set up in the huge ballroom and played there most of tom's vocals take vocal takes they're his first take mad Lazy. Well, he just can't be bothered to do another one. Well, there's a couple of things on that. One is he's a fucking great singer. uh, And there's another thing that if he tried to do it and redo it and redo it, he would lose the emotion of the song. And so the takes that you hear aren't perfect. You know, he gets a bit nasal. He goes out of tune in some places, but they're perfect for the emotional content of the song and the lyrics. Um Tom has talked about seeing apparitions and ghosts a lot in the house. Uh, All members have commented on its atmosphere and vibe. Uh, Johnny slept in like a bed that had been there since 1612. Um, And it genuinely does kind of leak into the album, I think. For an album that is as complex as it is, it is remarkable to me that 90% of it was recorded live. Uh, with no overdubs and no audio separation. What does that mean? Is it when, um, like the audio bleeds between the mics, and so if you're playing the drums, you get it's going to pick up on the the amp mic the other side of the room, for example. Yeah. So even in studios, if you're playing a live take of a song, the drums are in a different room. Mm. The vocalist is in a little booth, so that if you want to isolate a guitar part. On, on, on a song or isolate the vocals, there's nothing else interfering with them. For OK Computer, they didn't do that. They just played live with everyone in the same room. Um, yeah, if you isolate a guitar part, you'd hear the drums on it as well. Uh, the only overdubs were the vocals. There's two songs with strings. Uh, <laughs> You've heard the album. <laughs> no, I haven't. Oh, oh no. <laughs> There's some sound effects, a couple of guitar parts. They recorded to tape without the aid of computers, uh, although a very early version of Pro Tools was used for editing at like a much later stage of mixing. It means if they wanted to edit takes together or edit something in, it was all done on physical two-inch tape. And I, I think that we forget that albums made at this time were still being recorded in the same way as they were in like the 70s. Yes, man. <laughs> on like big reel-to-reel tapes and it was all cut by hand and they had a 24-track mixer and stuff like that. There was a genuine sense of freedom that allowed them to experiment with all kinds of things like that, like recording techniques. And a lot of that is because of the lack of deadlines. The flipped side to that lack of deadlines is that they kept delaying actually finishing anything. Um, They were worried that it wasn't perfect or it wasn't right. There was a lot of hand-wringing about, oh, should we fade out here? Should we splice in the chorus of this take in, uh, you know, opposite the verses of of this other take? Um, And it's also here that they really start to drill into that sound that they wanted to capture. So I've done something. We don't usually do this. But, guys, I don't know if you're aware of this. OK Computer, quite an important album. Would you you agree with at least that sentiment? 
Um, OK Computer by Radiohead. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to you, and that's what matters. It's important to the history of music, but I appreciate that sentiment as well, Lucas. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I've, I've put together, like... So they, they talk about their influences and the things that they were drawing from in order to create the sound of OK Computer, a sound that is quite particular to OK Computer and is one of the most influential things about it. Um, Tom said that the starting point was what he called the terrifying sound of the album Bitches Brew by Miles Davis, but they've spoken a lot on general influences. Um, And I have created a little montage (laughs) of things that they have named specifically that influenced some of the sounds on OK Computer. It's just under two minutes long. I'm going to play that for you now. There you go. Can we do a season on the Beach Boys? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that was sure. a lovely little time. Five hundred albums. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do. We'll do like a little mini series. Did you recognise any of those? Yeah, recognise Beach Boys and obviously REM and REM. You identified REM. Yeah. So, so um, did you recognise bits of OK Computer in there? No, because those were all different artists. Yes. None of those songs were by Radiohead. Yeah. Indulge me if you will for merely ten seconds, Lucas. <laughs> the one that you said the one that you said is what goes on inside my head. The jazz. I reckon I, that that was some radio headage to it. That was Bitches Brew by Miles Davis. Yeah, that was the one that Tom said, that's like the sound I would like to, like the terrifying sound yeah. of Bitches Brew. This, what goes on inside my head. Yeah, the yeah, terrifying exactly. mind of Lucas Way. I should shout out what they are. Um Bombale by Ennio Morricone. Um I hear a lot of uh, exit music for a film and Paranoid Android in that. Paper House by Can, I again hear Paranoid uh, Android. Fall on Me by REM, sounds a bit like Let Down. Bitches Brew by Miles Davis, we correctly identified, was, you know, 
has a lot of that stuff going on. Dress by PJ Harvey, something a little bit more modern for the the time that they were recording in. Uh, In a Silent Way by Miles Davis sounds a bit like The Tourist. Um, and wouldn't it be nice by the Beach Boys, one of the best songs ever, <laughs> ever, ever made. That sort of like the way that the Beach Boys recorded Pet Sounds was a huge influence on the way that OK Computer was recorded in terms of just kind of anything goes, tempo changes, loads of harmonies, use any instrument you want, that kind of thing. Um, they also focused on atmosphere, saying they wanted the atmosphere to be shocking at first, but upon repeat listens become comforting. And they did that pet sounds thing where they expanded their use of instruments with more use of piano, keyboards, a mellotron, cello, strings, glockenspiel. And across the whole album, there's a lot of field recordings, found sounds, electronic effects. I'm going to kind of point those out as we go through the album. Um, Typically, you know, guys, it's Radiohead. There's tense moments, uh, especially with Tom, who is a fraught grumpy incredibly driven person who just sort of happens to be one of the most respected songwriters of all time there are big arguments about certain things certain decisions that lead to tense moments but the biggest point of conflict is that nobody really knew what they were doing um the thing about experimentation is that it's equally exciting and frustrating and you're learning how to do something new um those initial sessions in september after those, they went back and forth between Candle Applause and St. Catherine's Court. And after around four months, just before Christmas 1996, they had 14 songs in contention for the album. The record executives were especially excited about one of those songs called Lift and saw it as a huge single. Finally, a bid for the number one chart spot. So Radiohead left it off the album altogether. <laughs> now, <laughs> to be fair... I've heard a few versions of this song. I've I've heard the version that they eventually release and the version that they recorded for OK Computer, and neither of them fit on OK Computer. Right. To be to be fair to them, um, worth mentioning that during these sessions, they also have a go at some songs called Motion Picture Soundtrack and the National Anthem. So on our little board of songs where High and Dry was, and we've moved that post-it note somewhere else now, um, of songs that are floating around, we've got True Love Waits. Big Boots, Nude, Motion Picture motion picture Soundtrack, The National Anthem, and Lift. They all come back in some kind of way. And there's a whole host of songs that were demoed and worked on that never see the light of day. Tom is a very prolific writer at this point. We watched uh, True Love Waits last week, right? Yes, we did. Do you want to hear a little clip of what they do with it during these OK Computer sessions? I'm very interested to hear. I'm almost inclined to think we should wait until we go until we get to the song, but then I guess that's pointless because they were being played live, so it's not like this. This would have been how people would have heard the the the. That's not necessarily the case, but what I think I, I'm not going to play you clips of any of the other songs, but I do think it would be interesting to follow True Love Waits through to the end of their career, which, by the way, was a moon-shaped pool, and then they broke up immediately afterwards. Uh, hey, hey now. I think I think I'm just I'm. I think that's going to date nicely. Yeah, I'll take it out, but I'll, and then uh, when when it's confirmed that they've broken up, I'll pop it back in, and it will make us look like we were really like ahead uh, of yeah, the yeah, curve. Yeah yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've made like a little montage of of clips of different versions they tried during the OK Computer sessions. Um, here's that. I'll 
then there's a you know there's some slightly more sort of uh experimental stuff that they did with kind of like tape loops and stuff that maybe uh predicts where they might go with the song in in a in a different kind of in a different life maybe um so here we go here's here's another bit of of okay computer true love waits I'll skip. I'll skip forward. We're about twenty-five seconds in. I'm going to skip to about three minutes. Yeah, you can hear the Miles that, Davis in that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> if you'd said, if you'd played that and just gone, "What Radiohead song is that?" I would. It would have been quite a long time before I'd have guessed. True Love Waits. It's very interesting, Lucas, because the, the the final version of True Love Waits doesn't sound a hundred miles away from that. They they do exactly the same tape loop thing that they're doing there, and what they're doing with that is that they've got a limited reel of tape that's going round and round and round, and Tom is playing on the piano, but they've taken the erase heads off of the tape machine, so every time it goes around, it's just recording over itself. It's an actual tape loop, not a delay pedal. There's nothing digital going on there, and there's loads of uses of delay on OK Computer. They're really kind of getting out there and uh, experimenting with a lot of stuff, you know? In January 1997, they record some strings for the two songs that feature them, at Abbey Road Studios. Who? Who? And then they spent two months mixing it at various studios across London. Nigel Godrich said he preferred a method of mixing that was kind of quick and hands-off, not wanting to get bogged down in the minutiae of it too much. The band then spent two whole weeks on just the sequencing of the album. Wow. They had everything mixed... And then they spent two weeks arguing over what order it should go in. Mm. See that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they did well. Uh, I mean, it's well-sequenced album. So they literally yeah. had them all individually done and then decided when which order it was going to go. That's interesting because I guess yeah. a lot of albums now will kind of bleed into each other, the songs. And, and there are some examples of that on OK Computer, for sure. Mm. Air, airbag uh, sort of goes into Paranoid Android. I guess you then mix the album... Again, exactly. right, once you've decided the yeah. audio, yeah, fair. You do, you, you tighten up those transitions. Mm. Um, they said they wanted the album to be experienced as a whole, with Ed adding, the context of each song is really important. It's not a concept album, but there is a continuity there. Um, and then they, they handed the album to the record label and said, hey, it's done. And when the band handed the album to uh, their record labels, they were not impressed no <laughs> um capital the american label said it sounded like commercial suicide uh they had forecasted two million sales for the album and after hearing it lowered the estimate to five hundred thousand. were they high <laughs> they were dry mm, were they dry uh 
almost every label across the across the world that was involved with the distribution of OK Computer swiftly and dramatically lowered their sales estimates. Um, only Parlophone, the British label, were like, nah, this is the one. We like, we like this one. Um, although they were, of course, disappointed at the lack of, like, a hit single or something marketable. Uh, your, your high and dries, your creeps. I mean, maybe um, my, maybe my uh, understanding as to the popularity of a few of these songs is wrong, but isn't there a few big, uh, popular mainstream hits on this album? But I wonder if in retrospect we feel like that because they became big and we've become accustomed to them. Yeah. But is No Surprises actually accessible? Or is No Surprises miserable as fuck? OK Computer is 25 years old. The reason that we have other songs like No Surprises is because No Surprises exists. I think that's that's probably a good way of, of, mm. of summing it up. Yeah. Um, at the time, this was... Uh, a, a, a dangerous move. This was an experimental move from a rock band. Um, but anyway, the, the the plan for the marketing was to lean into the vibe of the album. You know, uh, not release a, a, a huge single, just lean into what the, the ideas that the album was trying to impart. Again, that, you know, we've talked about it, that darkness bubbling under the surface of the 90s that we've talked about. Tony Blair, oh, he comes into power in May 1997. This is Lucas's area of politics, you know. The, oh, he loves it. He loves you it. You know who's in power before? You know who's in power before Tony Blair. <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> wasn't it John, John Major, Major, mate? <laughs> yeah. I, I think he's the mage. Guys, why doesn't our Redbubble have a John Major t shirt? It does now. Okay, great. But Look that out implies for that, guys. But that, I don't, the thing is, I don't want us to actually, you know, we align have ourselves. no opinion. I don't on want John to Major. align ourselves with a conservative uh, politician in any way, shape, or form. Even if he's a conservative in a very different sense to the uh, big C conservatives we have now. <laughs> here's, here's my picture for the T-shirt. It says John Major, but the picture is of the demon headmaster. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, if you yeah. if you put that up on the red bubble, I'll buy that. Yeah, okay, great. I'll get our own merch, which I've not done yet. I've yet to get one of our own bits of merch. Oh god! <laughs> Tony Blair comes into power in May 1997. The hope, the optimism, the sense of change, the fading of the upbeat Britpop, the alternative music of Portishead, and Massive Attack, kind of flourishing even more influx of american culture into the uk the height of the tabloid press the underlying dread of continued inequality in society and the evolution of technology leading to a collapse of everything the fear of the coming millennium the album leans into kind of all of that vibe and so the marketing did as well the posters for the album were just the words that are spoken in fitter happier Oh, wow. In full. Oh, God. The huge tube posters, people underground commuting to their jobs, looking at billboard-sized reproductions of things that said fitter, happier, more productive, shot of baby strapped in backseat, no bad dreams, fond but not in love. They really leaned into the bleakness uh, of this album. Um, they were also full-page newspaper adverts, Adverts in magazines, shirts with it written on. They made floppy discs with OK Computer screensavers on them. Um, 
the American label sent out uh, to 1,000 prominent journalists and music writers cassette players with a cassette of OK Computer glued into it. Um, here, here's something we've never remarked on. Yeah. <laughs> they made a website. Was that? In 1997. <laughs> but it had actually been there since 1996, but they updated it properly in 1997. They were one of the first bands to ever have a website. It was them and Megadeth. <laughs> Genuinely, that was wow. it. But the Megadeth one was just a placeholder. And they had to compete with, like, Badger, 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 Badger. Not like, even. This is uh, 1997, yeah, Badger, mate. Badger, Badger was, like, 1999. Like, like no. I didn't even have fucking dial-up, I don't think, in 1997. Flash and Newgrounds is way after 99. This is... That's, I watched yeah. Badger, Badger, Badger. No! I'm not thinking of Badger, Badger, Badger. I watched, I watched a YouTube, you know, old, one of those classic things when I was in primary school, which I left in the year 2000. But I'm thinking of the hamster dance, uh, which wasn't Flash. It was just gifts <laughs> of some hamsters. Do you remember the hamster dance? No. no. Classic. You don't remember the hamster dance? No. Oh, I'll dig it up. All right, we'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll link to it in the show notes. The hamster dance. I don't think I've ever linked anything in the show notes that I've said I'm going to. Hey. Well, this one you will. <laughs> I mean, guys, I can really quickly describe it. It's a gif of a hamster dancing, and it's the song that goes... Yeah, I remember. Which is a sped-up version of the song at the beginning of Robin Hood. If you want. No, it is. But even even that wouldn't have been around in 1997. No, not in 1997. No. Radiohead accredited uh, as the first band to have to, to like manage an online presence. They understood that the internet was going to be a thing that would interact with the music industry before basically anybody else did. They were the first to have an actual website as we understand them today. It was interactive. It was actually a fucking nightmare uh, because they used it not to like promote themselves or make it easy to use they used it to push the ideas of the album rather than the album itself it was like a labyrinth that was deliberately difficult to use you couldn't tell on any page what could be interacted with and what couldn't some pages had one sentence on them others were streams of text or pictures it was a purely artistic concern you can still go on it uh, i'll show you uh, later maybe um they released one single prior to the album being released. If you wanted to attract people to this album by releasing one song, what would you what would you release? I mean, now, like Karma Police or something. Considering that they were deliberately trying to fuck themselves. Karma Police is one of the more accessible ones. Yeah, if that's I'm, what I mean. If I'm it depends yeah, what's your, if I'm the the record and I'm trying to release a song and the people that like the Benz, I'm releasing like Karma Police or Paranoid Android. So they released Paranoid Android. Yeah. Yeah, good shout. And they refused to offer a radio edit for it. Good. It's quite a long song, isn't it? So six and a half minutes long. Lovely. That's your single. Yeah. Take it or leave it. <laughs> Where do you think it charted? Paranoid Android in 1997. We're just 16. We're bad at this. 40. Three. 43. Wow. It was a big hit. Like, the, the record labels were all wrong. Like, uh, it, it just really connected with people. Um, People were pretty blown away by it. It got a lot of radio play by respected DJs. And a lot of musicians have kind of recounted tales of hearing that song in particular for the first time, saying it was incredibly brave and interesting to release that as a single. They did a handful of dates in Portugal and Barcelona. 
in May 1997, right around that time, OK Computer was released in Japan only on May the 21st. They then play at the very famous Tibetan Freedom Concert in New York in June 1997, um, still with only Japan having the album. But then in the UK, OK Computer is released on the 16th of June 1997. It's released on the 1st of July uh, in the USA. It's 12 tracks long. It's 53 minutes. It's produced and mixed by Nigel Godrich and Radiohead. It's mastered by Chris Blair at Abbey Road Studios. The artwork is done by Stanley Donwood and The White Chocolate Farm. Oh, he's back. You mean Tom? Who's, you mean Tom York? It's Tom York. It's Tom York. Yeah, it's Tom York. Um, let's talk about the artwork. Since we're on the artwork, what do we think of the artwork? Lucas scrabbling to look it up. up the <laughs> it's all like uh, it's like roads and technology, isn't it? And and kind of industrial, mm. maybe. Uh, let's have a look. Yeah, yeah. Um, very bleak. It's bleak as F. Yeah, and F stands for fuck. But it's also it's also kind of shiny, right? I mean, it's very like iPod. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. Is. The 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 bits on like the right look very like. Just like clip art that's just been shoved in. Yeah, it's like signs, though, isn't it? It's like warning signs and and kind of that, blah, 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 you know, um, yeah. a pamphlet kind of uh, information, I guess. Where's the road, Tate? Where's the road? The road, the big road in the middle of the. <laughs> yeah, no, but like, where is it? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying like oh. Radiohead fans will better tell you where <laughs> okay. that road is, and they'll go to, and they'll go to it on like an expedition to like. It's a go. it's it's a junction in Connecticut. Nice. Yeah, I know where it is. It's uh, it, it's a computer generated collage, which is actually remarkable for 1997. <laughs> oh, that's very yeah. Cool. Considering that's something that happens now, and we've talked about doing on our own artwork. And we have. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, what it yeah. is. Um, it's it's a collage of physically drawn motifs and photographs and these are the nascent days of photoshop so it's, it's pretty ahead of its time uh the thing that dominates the front cover you're right is is the motorway then there's the words lost child there's ghostly figures there's an airplane the whole thing has got like scratching all over it and the booklet is full of stuff like that too and i really miss with an album getting like 12 pages worth of artwork. There's so much cool stuff in the OK Computer artwork um, booklet that really adds to the vibe of the album. Um, it has the full lyrics, but they're all misspelled or oh, no. typed weirdly and put in random places and also accompanied with non sequiturs that don't appear in the lyrics. And then alongside them are sort of snatches of techno-speak and advertising slogans and sentences in the language Esperanto, which is a constructed international auxiliary language that's used all over the world. There's all sorts of stuff in the, in the artwork that is aimed at sort of like anti-capitalist globalisation themes. It's, I think it matches the album perfectly. It's really shiny, but... I find the album to be a bit of a collage as well. What do you think of that? I do. Um, it's interesting that it, it can be shiny, but I see it as so bleak as well. But then I guess the album's a bit like that. The, you know, you've got the, the real clear... Re- I don't want to get too much into the songs now, but like you've got some real dirge on there and s- scariness, but then like no surprises is so... Like, it's, like clear oh. as a be- oh. it's like clear as a bell. It's that kind of thing. You know, it's the kind of shiny... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I get that. I don't think the album cover looks bleak in the slightest. I'm not getting bleak from any of it. But you're not one to think at all about what an album is saying. Nah. No. I'm not talking about the album. I'm 
I'm just talking about the artwork. Right, but but it's it's in direct tandem with what the album is saying. It's another way of expressing the themes. Yeah. In like the most obvious uh version of that that we've seen on the podcast already is the artwork for drones. Oh god, don't. Mm. Right. <laughs> but can you see how this is the same thing and it's but this is just a much more subtle version of it. No, it's too subtle. No, it's too subtle. It's too I don't, subtle I don't see it. <laughs> We need halfway between OK Computer and Drone. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of like a shiny glass shopping mall. Yeah, I can see that. Why do I see it as so bleak? Because you're bleak. Because it is bleak. Because the word, the, it, it has a plane crash on the front uh, and it has the words lost child and it has blurry figures and it is bleak and it's a bit scary. But it's also like on first approach, it looks kind of shiny and, and nice. Yeah. But it does underneath. It has all those anti-corporate, anti-capitalist themes. Where's there a plane crash on the right? I think there's a plane at a weird angle. I mean, you can I see think, like the very nose of a plane. It. Yeah. So when you open the booklet, it wraps it wraps oh, around nice. as well. And a lot of the images and things that were used in the art booklet were built up over time because they would send Stanley Dobwood rough mixes and works in progress of the album so that he could create a kind of visual diary of the album and its process and tom is a very visual person he of course was a visual artist at university where he met stanley donwood so when he then received that artwork back that had been influenced by the songs he found that the artwork then further influenced the songs in return there's a really nice symbiotic relationship between the two artistic mediums not necessarily just in this album for Radiohead in general, as they as, as as they continue to work with with Stanley, the the album. If you look at the uh, album artwork, you can also see that it says Radiohead, and then what else does it say? It says OK Computer. That is kind of what do you think of the title? Uh, it seems quite on the nose for themes that are in the album, but that's fine, isn't it? Where's the emphasis? Well, exactly. Yeah, there's no comma. Is it okay, computer? Is it okay, computer? Or is it's it? It's such a blank statement that it's almost kind of nothing, right? Is it? Well, it's it's like okay, Google now is the way I see it, which is what you say. To, my phone just lit up because of it, uh, which is what you say to activate. I have that exact note. There's so much like it's part of this album's legacy that it's a very prescient album, right? And and it. It's talking about now from the perspective of 1997. Yeah. Like, we've never been closer to the world of OK Computer than we are now. Um, if if writing about the dread associated with technology and the internet and interconnectivity as, as a species or the, the, the depersonalization uh, associated with the spreading use of technology, if, if all of that seems a little bit well-worn in 2022, you again, we kind of have to just keep repeating, this was 25 years ago that they were talking about this stuff. It, 25 years ago is another planet. And yeah, I, I was not in touch with, with, with technology in the way that this album speaks about. Like Radiohead were just kind of on it in those regards. Like I said, they already had uh, a website. But, but but if you're talking about the title, you're exactly right, Steve. We as a society walk around saying something that is very much like the title of this album every day. Yeah. Just going like, okay, computer, what's the weather like today? Yeah. You know, with Siri and Alexa and, and, and all of these things. You can actually, you, you can have an Alexa respond to the word computer. 
Yeah, you can there you go. It. That's that's th- th- there's something in that title that is just kind of innocuously terrifying. I think. Yeah, it's, bit, it's very Black Mirror. Yeah, the idea that we're watched over by machines all the time, uh, and and there's like a resigned feeling to it. Uh, okay, computer, it's uh, you know. There's a lot of dread on this album and there's a lot of technology on this album and I don't think those are like separate themes. Um, and I think that makes the whole mood of the album incredibly ahead of its time. It's also just a fucking nonsense phrase uh, like the sloganeering that you hear on Fitter Happier. Or like their band name. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all just like vaguely sort of like technological but it all kind of adds to this to this mood. Um, it actually comes from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, specifically the 1978 radio series, uh, which the whole band would listen to together in the tour bus on their 1996 tour. Zaphod Beeblebrox says, OK, computer, I want full manual control now. Uh, and Tom heard it and wrote it down. OK, computer. OK, computer. And he named another song after Hitchhikers as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not the only <laughs> no reference way. to those books on this album. Tom has said it refers to kind of uh, embracing the future while being terrified of the future. There were a couple of other titles hanging around. One of them was Ones and Zeros, which is the same kind of thing but feels less on the nose, and I like how on the nose OK Computer is, you know? Sorry, when you say Ones and Zeros, I imagine you don't mean they literally had a big block of binary text. It literally no, it was literally Ones no, and Zeros. No, no, it was okay. going to be called Ones I can and Zeros. Imagine that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the other title was uh, Your Home May Be at Risk If You Do Not Keep Up Repayments. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's a real, another, another real bleak um, <laughs> phrase. Um, is this, uh, ignoring what Ed said about it not being a concept album, is this a concept album? I think I have a different kind of view as to what a concept album is, and that's usually as a narrative and a, and a very followable storyline from start to finish. That said, all the songs adhere to a theme. I think it's a theme and album. Yeah, mo- but most albums have a theme, don't they? I'd say, yeah, I'm with Steve that a concept album needs a, a, a narrative. I think a concept album should easily be transferred into musical theatre. Up for. That's, yeah, no, that, that's a good distinction. Yeah, I don't think it's a concept album in, like, the traditional sense in that it, like, it doesn't have a linear narrative. But like you said, it has a very consistent um, tone yeah. and set of concerns. Like, wh- what are those concerns? What are the themes of this album? What what sort of comes up a lot? Not to hit obvious noses. That's the phrase. Oh, hit some noses, Steve. Go on, smack them on the nose. Paranoia. Yeah. Um, feeling of uh, isolation. Feeling... Um, I want to say alone, but not in a sense of, of literally like isolation, but just feeling like you don't fit in. Like you don't belong here. Yeah. Like mm. you're a creep. Like mm. you're a weirdo. Your skin mm. makes me cry. <laughs> yeah, your skin makes me cry. <laughs> uh, transport appears a lot, whether it's cars or trams or motorways. Technology, obviously. Uh, mental health, death and suicide, I suppose. Uh, globalization and the shifting culture, anti-capitalism, politics. This, this, this is a much more political album, um, which I was taken aback by, really. And and it was, and it is fairly like obvious as well. And yet, it's in songs that I've heard so many times and didn't really take notice. 
which is interesting. But then the lyrics of the album, like, I think you have to do a bit more work on this album to get to, like, the heart of the songs than you did with, with the Benz, you know? There's been, like, a bit of a shift in Tom York's songwriting style. Like, do you remember, like, the, the storytelling style has pretty much disappeared. There's no fake plastic trees visual storytelling. It's much more akin to the Holy Bible style of um, collage songwriting. Yeah, collage and uh, I want to say more poetic and, yeah, frantic maybe. Um, but but where, you, where you look at it and you could read it as a poem and it would kind of, it would still work. Whereas it, the Benz maybe not so much because it's more rhyming couplets. Yeah. Although I think each song on this album has kind of like a very... Like, like they have separate stories to kind of tell. Um, you just have to kind of get the vibe from the whole of the lyrics rather than be guided through it like a story like you are on High and Dry, for instance, with the motorcycle jumping and stuff. Um, the biggest thing I get from the album is like life or um, or like society or whatever being lived at, at an incredibly fast pace uh, I find this album very overwhelming I get a sense that all of the narrators on the album are overwhelmed with something and I think the style of the lyrics really like gels well with that feeling you get like snatches of images uh, in the same way that you would get snatches of images looking out the window of a train or a bus or something like that and and the lyrics were kind of written like that with, with tom jotting down a line at the time uh, as they toured the world after the bends and he'd take little polaroid snapshots as well and i think that informed the way that he that he wrote my personal feelings on it are like where the bends felt like someone was observing the world and then telling the listener about what was going on um OK Computer comes, a lost, comes across like someone in the world trying to make sense of it and only being able to conjure up like garbled phrases uh, of, of, of what's going on. Um, I talked on the bends about somebody being outside of society, looking in and wanting to be a part of it. And I think this album is, is someone becoming a part of it and realising that they've made a terrible mistake. Yeah. <laughs> on uh, on the bends, he says that everything is broken, and on OK Computer, you can just kind of hear everything breaking. And what what does that mean? Like, what does this album sound like to you guys? I've got uh, words in my head that I haven't written down. I'm going to attempt to kind of say what this album kind of is to me, saying, or at least showing, and that's the... We talked about it a bit before, but the kind of cold harshness uh, and terrifying nature of technology taking over, like that versus how squishy and kind of vulnerable and terrified humans are. And it's that it's those two forces kind of coming together. Does that make any sense? And it's kind of like yeah. saying all this shit going on and actually how how vulnerable human beings actually are. And uh, that's probably the most pretentious thing I've ever said in this podcast. <laughs> I, th I think the album and Radiohead in general are quite concerned with like man versus machine and I think that this album blends it, it like blurs the barrier between them what is technology and what is human and how is technology aiding humans and how is it uh, harming us you know um, one of the most human tracks 
on the record is spoken by a robot. Do you know what I mean there's there's that blurring of 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 the boundaries um but the interesting thing for me is that like for an album that is very concerned with technology and the potential negative surrounding it the actual making of the music and the music itself is quite technological and technologically sort of like forward thinking in places there's use of samples and the robot voice and and stuff like that um but I think it all makes sense to me. I think that, that tension, that push and pull kind of works in favour of the album. I also think there's a couple of funny moments on it, though. Like, and I think they're starting to see their... They're starting to... Uh, their irony is kind of slipping in a bit more, um, which I think the Benz was a little bit more sincere. Yeah. Ernest. Mm. Ernest goes camping. I was waiting for it. I was literally like, Steve is going to make an Ernest goes to joke. <laughs> yeah. Steve and I have talked very philosophically about the sound of this album, yeah. about like technology breaking and stuff like that. Lucas, not to single you out, what does this album actually sound like in terms of actual sound? Yeah, that's <laughs> more my speed because uh, yeah. all that stuff you just said, don't care. Sure. Not to be in, not to, not to. Uh, uh, Wish I hadn't written all of those. Not to say, no, you know what I mean though. We've had this discussion a thousand times on the podcast. Uh, I'm glad you didn't defer to me because I would have gone, I don't know. Because also, uh, you say they sing about X, they sing about Y. Am I supposed to be able to make out a substantial amount of the lyrics on this album? Uh, yeah, I think so. I can't. I mean, it's difficult. I think I think you would have to read along with them. Yeah, see, and that's the thing. That's what I don't do, is it? And so that's... Oh, you started doing it for a little while. Yeah, I know. And I did start, and I did it again for literally my notes. But I don't do it on the, like, 50 listens that I have prior to doing my notes. Had you heard music like this before? Um... Uh, it's really hard for me to detach this album from the like uh, it's, it's been it was been the case so far has been it's been it's hard to detach it from what i know radiohead sound like later and so it's and so i actually hear this album and go well it still sounds fairly like accessible you know it still sounds like closer to the bends and like guitar rock than than later radiohead but actually at the time obviously it would have been like massively new and massively different, which I know because I've been told that by you and just general. That's just the commonly held consensus about this album. I mean, I can still hear the bends on this. I think there's like quite a natural progression into this album. So I, th- I can see what you mean with that. Like, there's still some rock songs. Yeah. And because I'm, it's hard for, for me to detach that, like, what I know they ultimately end up sounding like. And, and just my lack of knowledge of what, what, what was music at this point in time, you know, taking Radiohead out of the equation. I know because it's the prevailing opinion that the Beatles, once they stopped playing live, started doing like radical and new things and they were amazing. They were pushing the boundaries and all of that. I know that to be a fact, but I don't know what the contemporaries were that were not doing that sounded like. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so, and so I'm, I don't know if something sounds new or interesting or exciting because I I don't have the context of what wasn't at the time. The big albums of the time, um, Oasis, Blur. You know, like we we were in that. We were in the very upbeat three-minute pop song sort of era of rock music. Mm. Um, And rock music didn't sound like this. Electronic music sounded like this. 
and jazz sounded like this, but rock music didn't sound like this. And I think that's the important distinction, is that if someone asks you, have you ever heard an album that sounds like OK Computer? The answer is yes, because I played you a bunch of clips that fucking sound like OK Computer about <laughs> about half an hour ago, and they're all from the fucking 70s. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's out there. But the whole thing about OK Computer is they were one of the biggest rock bands in the world at the time, and they chose to sound like electronic musicians playing rock music or jazz musicians playing rock music, which opened a door to then allow other rock bands to do that. Before OK Computer, there wasn't any rock music that sounded like OK Computer. After OK Computer, there's a bunch of fucking shit that sounds like OK Computer. Kind of. I don't think anybody actually replicates the atmosphere that this album has. No, but they start they start blending them yeah, into yeah, genres exactly. more. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just the way that they use like classical music on this album as well. Like, sure, it was, you know, de rigueur to have strings on rock songs. The strings on, you know, the one major song that they appear on on this album are very fucking different to a design for life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not sure. euphoric. In terms of a step up, though, the Benz is very much a guitar record. It's a rock record with big, loud guitars. And this is definitely something else. I agree that you can hear bits of the bends on this album, but this seems much more nuanced, much more interesting. We didn't have loads of piano on the bends, you know, and again, that seems like, uh, you know, that's not that much of a change. Kind of was for the time. It's a big step up from the bends. Uh, something I've... I've pointed out in with with regards to a specific song but i think it's generally true probably largely of the whole album and probably actually probably also radiohead in general is there is a lot going on and there's a lot of in- interesting stuff but it's quite subtle yeah and you have to pay attention which is why adam and adam like humans love radiohead and plebs go the boring or the depressing because it's not as easy to grab onto, you know. Like there was a couple of the songs that I was like, "Yeah, it's, it's a bit boring actually. It's not. This one's not great." And then listened to it a few more times. And was like, "There's stuff going on actually when you really pay attention." Mm. But and that's your whole argument if you get as much into it as you put, you get as much out of it as you put into it. And a lot of people don't put into it. One hundred percent. Why they are not listening to OK Computer? Yeah, and Lucas, correct me if I'm wrong. At the beginning of this podcast, he used to say like. Well, I mean, you've said it a few times, like, if you listen to something and you don't like it, it's probably not for you, or you will uh, usually judge music that you hear on your first one or two listens of it. You are kind of one of those people. If I'm finding it too hard work, I'm not going to keep going too much. Right, yeah, exactly. Which is why you then have, to keep bringing up the example, but you have a band like Muse, who have that mainstream appeal, because they do a similar thing ten times more obviously, and, and there's less subtlety. And you know what I mean? And that's very easy for people to go, oh, yeah, they're doing like an electronic song. Because yeah. literally going, do, 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 That was Enter Shikari. That, I know it was. Yeah. I, I loved it. <laughs> having said that, there are moments on this album that are experimental or odd sounding that are not subtle at all. Paranoid Android. No, <laughs> like, obviously, obviously, yeah, yeah. obviously not. But but I mean, the songs that I think, and I'll point them out, the songs that I think the the plebman or the normieman would go would cite as an example of like Radiohead are just boring and depressing, 
are those sorts of songs. But if you listen, you're, oh, there's a lot going on here and they're interesting. But if you're just giving them a really broad general listen in the background or whatever, you're probably going to be fairly bored or, or, or not be as, as you not be as grabbed, you know? Yeah, you are, you are rewarded by an active listen for, for this album, I think. Which is why a song like Paranoid Android is like a big song because it, it is more easily just like grab you by the... And my favourite thing about Paranoid Android, Paranoid Android is that it does both. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that it, yes, it yes. grabs you immediately and then there's stuff that you can, uh, you can go back and hear. Um, like, I can't overstate the technology stuff. There's so much technology on this album and it's all about technology. Constantly it sounds like the narrator is being drowned out by technology. And you, you mentioned Paranoid Android. The Paranoid Android solo does not sound like traditional guitars would you know and and then you have tom like absolutely wailing about how nobody can remember this person's name and it 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 sounds genuinely distressing if you listen to it and i think if you have it on in the background it would sound like a rock song right yeah because it's got a riff it's got a riff yeah and what a a riff um i also think this is the album where the three guitar players really come into their own there's a lot of like intertwining. And... Yeah, that's the stuff I'm talking about. About if you actually pay attention, you hear how much is going on. There's there's also a lot, like you said, Lucas, a lot going on in the background. There's a lot of atmosphere on this album, and I have some bits and pieces of atmosphere from the album that I think would illustrate your point, Lucas. Is that if I played you a clip of this, you wouldn't go, oh, "I know what song that's from," but these are in the songs on OK Computer. Can I play you some little bits? Little bits. Yes. I mean, this is it. Don't wait for anything to happen. (laughs) Now, have you got stems here? You've got isolated yeah, I've got, pieces. I've got, some, okay. I've got some bits and pieces, yeah. yeah that's I'll, I'll skip forward. This is about two minutes long. Hang on. That's terrifying. It's now like a challenge yeah. trying to work out what song it's in. They actually just left a microphone in one of the halls overnight in this haunted mansion. Yeah. This is what they've done. <laughs> that's terrifying. Uh, hit- this is all done with delay and, and stuff and they'll, they'll take parts out of songs and then delay them and like or, or ed will just be standing there making some weird fucking noises let, let me illustrate the delay effect a little bit on this next bit which is just tom saying hello fun this is a bit of a noise noise sketch by nigel he's just sort of playing around with some stuff in the studio this kind of ambient drone stuff that all feeds in to the uh the atmosphere of the album and you wouldn't go like oh this is on exit music for a film would you like and it's not i don't think i don't know which song this is from but those are the kind of experimentations of noise that they were doing, and they're, they're all present in the background, hovering around in this album. All of that sounds like Shite. the the, the <laughs> no the thing that they play on Brass Eye 
to so what music sounds like when you take the drug cake <laughs> yes it does. <laughs> it does it does also i listen to music that's just like that on a daily basis because you love cake you always have a little bit of cake i'm always on cake i'm always on cake just be careful you don't cry all the water out of your body <laughs> steve you've heard this album a bunch of times before we did it for the podcast uh what was it like uh going into it in more depth well like first of all Bits aside of me going, this is someone's opinion, so I'm going to take it on as my own. I have to say that every time now. But, like, obviously I came into this album this time around knowing it's supposed to be one of the most influential albums and best albums of all time. And yeah, first of all, I just wanted to just... I wondered how you guys felt about, like, how... Like, that context alone will always affect someone's opinion, I think. Like, let's say they've never heard this before. They're like, by the way, this is supposed to be one of the most influential and best albums of all time. Like, and and, and how that makes... A lot of people probably go, well, I feel like I need to like it, which is what I did back back when I tried went through my I should probably get into Radiohead phase. But then I think a lot of people do the opposite, which I know Lucas does with a lot of stuff, is is you kind of want to not like that because it's got such a big like Peaky Blinders, Rick and Morty. Yeah, yeah. Peaky Blinders Fucking get Peaky fucked. Blinders. You know what I mean? I though? haven't even seen Dick. five minutes of that show, and nah. it can get out of my life. Yeah, there you go. Hey. There you go. Uh, oh, I love Killian Murphy. I love him. He's great. He's shit now. Yeah, shit. I just wondered how you sort of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, because so I came in with this right. Okay, and so I've I've really tried to kind of get rid of that, but I think I can quite easily do that now. We're in the third year of doing this podcast. I think I've actually got a critical ear that I can switch on. Um, podcast ear. I think we named it once. Yeah, um, but yeah. I, Whereas I'm actively trying to train myself against having one because that's the bit. That's the right. Yeah, yeah. You've constantly <laughs> we've, have... we've all got our characters, guys. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I, I really liked it back when I first sort of started to. What? Oh, let's let's have a listen to Radiohead thing. But I wasn't kind of giving it any critical listen. Um, it was just something to pass time on the bus to work. But I, so I specifically remember hating Fitter Happier, for example. Right. Uh, which we'll obviously go into later. But, because it's just like arty bollocks, right? Yeah, I was like, oh no, I want to hear. It's not a song. I want to hear songs. Yeah. I want to hear some song songs. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would skip it. I'd skip the skip the non-song song and put on the song song. Yeah. Uh, Steve, you should start with it. You say you were listening to to. <laughs> I don't disagree with that. Uh, you say you were listening to OK Computer on the bus on the way to college. The work. How old were we at this point? It was five a few years ago. <laughs> I was, yeah. was going to say sorry because you, yeah, I yeah. thought you were talking about when you were younger, and I, I I remember you saying that you you discovered you got into Radiohead much later because you'd actively tried to specifically. If you'd like to know, I used to get on the uh, park and ride for work because it was impossible to park when you worked in a we hospital. Used to do that when I worked in Winchester. Yeah, yeah I worked in a bank. Yeah. And it's just city centre. It was impossible. Yeah. Lucas, I, I'm interested in you answering Steve's question in terms of approaching this with the kind of vague knowledge that it's quote unquote one of the greatest albums of all time yeah what's the question that i'm answering how do you feel about that like did did you try and mitigate that did you approach it with some kind of suspicion no, you can't ignore it I, I can't just switch off you can't just like forget that fact can you? exactly it's, it's an interesting like, context like let's just say i've thrown something at you now and i said like this painting this is the best painting everyone says this is the best painting. well let's not go into paintings actually again because unless it's done by ai lucas doesn't give a shit uh, this is the best <laughs> album. Uh, everyone loves this album. You've never heard it before. You're like, well, then that's already in your mind. And I just find that kind yeah. of concept quite interesting because I struggle with that 
because that's where the whole bit came from because I'm a bit like, well, hold on. Okay, so I should like this, right? It, I, I just find that interesting. And how? so how do you feel? Well, like- the difference is for you because because you've got the, uh, what's the word? Um, I've got the, the, the knack of loving. I don't know what I'm doing. No, I'm sorry. Me. I don't know what that was. You've got the, uh, you're, you're, you know, you are... Um, more easily swayed what's the word i'm looking for Inf- influ- suggest suggest you're suggestible sometimes yeah. you can be suggested yeah towards uh whereas i i mean i don't want to get into thoughts though about the album but uh because of that context um mildly disappointed because it's too but it's too much it's too hype. much yeah it's too much I think that there's suggestible and there's every music critic on the planet telling it's a good album like at some point you just got to go well they're probably right <laughs> I like that Adam just referred to the the previous point I made and managed to somehow not murder me at the fact that I just said I was mildly disappointed. Uh, okay, computer. Uh, Lucas, that was my expectation because you've been mildly disappointed by everything we've listened to that isn't Muse. That's not true at all. <laughs> Absolute bollocks. Absolute bollocks. How dare you? My my expectation is that um, because you don't engage with the artistic stuff about music, that this wouldn't appeal to you. Um, that's got nothing to do with it though what i'm talking about here is purely that you've got to live up to impossible hype but that but that's the thing is is it's hyped because of the aspects that you don't respond to yeah true it, no, no one's saying oh this is fucking 12 bangers in a row mate get it on in the club <clears throat> that they're, they're saying that there's a cohesive theme that talked about the time it was released in and becomes more relevant as we listen to it in the context of today and all of that sentence i just watched you switch off so of course you're going to be mildly disappointed by the fact that we're like analysing an album that does all that stuff because you don't care about that stuff. True, true. But also, I would have also assumed that on the uh, the the album that people call one of the best ever made would also just on it just on the surface be really good songs, you know. But then I guess they are if for very, for very different reasons and yeah. reasons that I don't necessarily. Yeah. Again, I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm, I'm, I'm over 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 worrying, over getting ahead. I'm just saying like it it comes with such baggage. It does, yeah, yeah. And I, and I don't mean this to sound like an attack at all, but I think there is an element of you that if someone says this is great, you automatically want to not like it. And I don't mean that. As, yeah, no, no. There's no way I can say <laughs> on that without that sounding like so. So, for example. There's no real reason you hate Limmy or Peaky Blinders, but it's mainly because everyone's gone, I love this. So you're like, fuck you. Fuck you. I don't want to like this. No, but that's not because the thing that it's overexposure to the thing. We've done this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Overexposure is what does it for me. And you've spent the 25 years of your life hearing that OK Computer is one of the best albums ever made, right? No, I don't think this one, I don't think this suffers from the overexposure Peaky Blinders effect at all. It's just I went into it perfectly happy and, and and enjoying it. It just it just came with like the expectation that this is this is a universally agreed ten out of ten album, and I went along being like, well, no, I think it's more of like a something out of ten. Nice. Uh, it, it's no, it's not a Limmy Peaky Blinders uh, uh, starting to be Elden right. Ring situation. Oh really? Um, <laughs> oh fuck me! You can't go on the internet without reading about Elden Ring, can you? Christ. I just find that interesting. So therefore, you or you have a dislike for something you've never experienced. It's just, no, it's just the thing winds you up. If you, if I didn't shut the fuck up about Muse. spaghetti bolognese, Muse. 
about spaghetti bolognese. Yes. You'd start being, you'd start having a little mild dislike towards spaghetti bolognese because I don't shut. The, I'm constantly talking about best ways to make spaghetti bolognese, and you would go, "Oh, I made a spag bolognese." And I go, "Oh, did you? When you made the spaghetti bolognese, though, what order did you put the ingredients in the pack? Because it's very important when you're making spaghetti. Bolognese. It's onions first. Right. You'd start, you'd start presenting spaghetti bolognese." right yeah okay i actually don't really get that that much at all i think like the the thing that annoys me about peaky blinders yeah i mean you yeah considering you said you have that with peaky blinders right but the thing that annoys me about peaky blinders and rick and morty is the wholesale uh adoption of that into the fan base's lives where they all walk around with the peaky blinders haircut do you know what i mean and they and they queue up at mcdonald's to get the sheshuan sauce from rick and morty that's the stuff i dislike yeah yeah and that but that's that's all cut from a similar cloth i mean that's the same area as doesn't shut the fuck up about the thing as well it's just a more tedious version of the thing this is nothing to do with okay computer because as previously said none of that applies to how i feel about this album but you hadn't consciously experienced this as an album. I, I want to kind of take Correct. a wild stab and say that there wasn't anything wholly unfamiliar to you. And you've probably heard most of this album piecemeal. Yeah, over 50% of it I'd heard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so and so a lot of it was just, oh, so this one's on OK Computer. Oh, so this one's on OK Computer. Because like I said at the start, when if you said to me what albums creep on, I would have gone, Kid A? Like, I, don't I, know, just... I suppose... Oh, imagine if they put creep on Kid A. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose... Uh, my next, my, my my next thought was like, well, how did uh, you know hearing the songs in the context of this album change them for you? But I'm I'm again going to take a wild stab and say that it didn't, Lucas. <laughs> yeah, Paranoid Android's still a banger, right? Regardless of the fact that it comes after Airbag and before Subterranean Homesick Alien. I mean, that is important that it comes there though. Like... <laughs> <laughs> but I think like yeah, it comes with that baggage. And I said on the first episode. I bought this in HMV because I had seen that it was the best album of all time. And exactly. Steve said, it's probably very good, but it'll be depressing, so what's the point? Um, and, <laughs> he was right, Adam. But I, I put it on and went, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get what's good about this. Yeah. And then I kind of had to put it on again and again and again and again. And it just kind of wormed its way into my sort of uh, soul. I guess. And it's probably, I'm not sure it's going to be that surprising for me to say that I genuinely do actually agree that this is probably one of the greatest albums ever made. Yeah, it doesn't surprise like, me the slightest. No, I, but you know, the reason that I think that is for all of the things that you just don't take into account, Lucas. And then Steve's kind of halfway. It's almost like that's what we do on the podcast. <laughs> it's almost like that's the dynamic of our podcast. Yeah. But also, I feel like all of that was just uh, really negative. And guess I, I don't not like this album. Look, man, we I think we all agree it's a good album, right? Like, it's okay, computer, for Christ's sake. Yeah, we don't have to be cagey about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I have I have put in my notes, it's, it's a step up from the Benz. Yeah. But in rainbows is still safe. Well, this is this is why I kind of expected you to have that reaction because your favourite Radiohead album is their most is the album. most accessible Radiohead album. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and this is less accessible than uh, in rainbows, and I think the Benz is slightly duller than in rainbows, right? So in rainbows is kind of the halfway point between the Benz and OK Computer for you, maybe. It's that accessibility versus experimentalism. The bits, the stuff I'm excited for, and I've said this in the start, is the next run. Kid A onwards. Yeah. Because yeah. you told me that's when they go, fuck it. Yeah. 
yeah, we'll get onto that. We'll get onto that. Uh, I I think that the sound collage nature of this album is what pre- prevented me from really getting into it. But now I think that it's very clever and it gives the album quite a dense feel. And even though the songs are recorded as played by five people, it comes across uh, like I, I think this album comes across as a lot more than the sum of its parts. If you were to take a song out and a song here and analyze that that they're great songs i think i think all the songs on this are great it's some of the best songwriting ever but then if you put them all together it becomes something much bigger um but let's touch base uh with the first part of the album some except guys i think we've finally done it i think we have finally we've 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 done a part we've done a part one that doesn't cover a single song yes and we haven't done a single fucking song from okay computer so next week we will start at the beginning of the album but before we wrap up entirely guys all of that one song that we heard talk show host was that music yes and no okay I've, elaborate I've got, uh, an essay i need to read out it's about no it's never mind now, lucas what do you reckon no oh okay expand on that no okay Great. Do we have time for an email though? No. We, we do go. <laughs> yes. No. Okay. Well, I'm going to read it. one anyway. It it's like when an infant has just learned the word no and just says it constantly. No. 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 Um, this is from, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up people's names. I'm really sorry. It's from Adam Morasuti. Now I'm uh, apologies if I've ruined that. But it sounded good though. Thanks. And yeah, well, if it sounded good, then maybe Adam should con- like consider pronouncing his name that way from now on if it's not pronounced that way uh adam says dear big mates that's us that's the that's three us. of us guys. You and- yeah. yeah i'm writing this after watching the introduction for season four now somehow adam has managed to watch our podcast which is actually very impressive and if he could get back in touch with us to let us know how he's done that that would be amazing that, thanks very that much that is worrying though isn't it yeah and i thought now would be as good a time as any to thank you guys for providing me with so many hours of entertainment over the past couple of years i started listening early in season one as the manics are one of my favorite bands along with the libertines who i would love to see covered one day no little toddler lucas isn't it? <laughs> yeah very much uh like uh lucas repellent uh something like the libertines and as someone in Canada in my 20s, I don't exactly have a ton of friends eager to, eager to discuss a Welsh indie band that was never that big here, even in the 90s. As a result of this, I had to turn to the internet, and finding the podcast was a breath of fresh air. To answer the titular question of the podcast, I think what I look for in music most is emotional resident, uh, resonance. I definitely subscribe to Steve's notion of the nostalgia nub. However, I also relate to Adam's love of lyrics and context, as well as Lucas's insistence that sometimes a banger is just a fucking banger. In regards to my favourite Mannix album, besides the obvious Holy Bible and Everything Must Go, I am a committed lifeblood stan and vibe with the melancholy yes. Mannix seen in albums like This Is My Truth and Rewind the Film. Yes. I also immensely enjoyed the next two seasons on Muse and Billy with Black Holes and Revelations and Happier Than Ever really leaving an impression on me. In yes. terms of Thomas York and the Radio Heads, I am a fan of the Benz <laughs> and OK Computer but have always been turned off listening to the rest of their, rest of their discography because 
because of the judgmental and annoying side of their fan base that you alluded to in the introduction episode and have stubbornly just ignored them based on principle. Regardless, I'm excited to finally give them a proper go listening to this season. This email has gone on far too long already, but I just wanted to thank you guys again as this silly podcast has been a source of comfort for me during the past couple of years. I've been finishing university, working part-time and just dealing with life being incredibly stressed and anxious and it's been great to have something that I can always look forward to where I'm always going to have a laugh. Thanks again, guys, and take care. Very offended that he called our podcast silly. Silly. Yeah. Yeah, I noted that. Yeah. I noted that. So I I've got think... a list of listeners that are, well, yeah, I not say what not... happened. But... Yeah, well, yeah. No, we don't want to incriminate yourself you know, no. on the podcast, but if some <laughs> houses burned down and the things hey. that linked them were that they were listening to this podcast... Probably just a coincidence. It's probably just a coincidence. Uh, Thank you for the email, Adam. That's great, even if you think that we are (laughs) silly. Uh, I'm glad we could be there for you with our (laughs) stupid shit podcast. When the rain starts to fall. Huh? Oh, you're doing like a friend's He's thing. glad we I can be you, there I, thought you, I genuinely thought you were going to start off some poetry or something. I, I, I was waiting getting... for something incredible to happen. I thought that email had really touched you. I froze my tears and made a dagger. No, that brings <laughs> us to the end of another episode. Thank you very much for listening. Look, our next episode is out next Monday and maybe we'll start our track by track of OK Computer, but we will definitely continue to dive deeply into the sea of OK Computer. Uh, but before that, come and talk to us about all of that stuff in the lead up to the album itself you can do that by finding us on twitter at what is music pod instagram at what is music pod facebook at what is music pod tiktok at what is music and if you'd like mm. to send in something a little bit longer and maybe have us read it out on the show you can email us whatismusicpod at gmail.com and there's also a couple of ways that you can support us other than retweeting and talking to us online and liking our Instagram posts and sharing our TikToks and one of those is to support us financially a way you can do that is to buy our merchandise if you go to whatismusicpod.redbubble.com you'll find some stupid designs and one cool one and if you don't fancy the merchandise and you'd like to chuck us a few quid you can go to coffee.com which is ko-fi.com slash what is music? All donations are very gratefully received and go towards our running costs. Jesus. That about does it. Thanks again for listening. But before you go, please, please, please. <laughs> Sorry. It is silly, isn't it? Don't leave me. Hi. Don't leave me. Bye. bye. Farewell. Oh, oh it's no. nice. It's, it's bye. Bye. bye.